Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Can you guess that too? Okay. Just want to make sure we can guess that too. If you're got any age on you, you probably know that tune. And so the name of the song is called Imagine. And to imagine is to form a, like a mental image of something, right? Something that's not necessarily present, maybe something you haven't ever seen, but to imagine, to suppose or, or to guess. That's what imagine means. You know, the song was written... Uh, to give the world a more hopeful perspective. Written by John Lennon in 1971 and uh, kind of to persuade the audience to, to imagine a world of peace because the Vietnam War was going on at the time. And so that was kind of the motivation behind this song. Lennon himself, you know, he described Imagine as virtually the communist manif- manifesto. He says, even though I'm not particularly a communist and don't belong to any movement, but because it's sugar-coated, sugar-coated, sugar's in there, Uh, because it's sugar-coated, it is accepted. It's a a nice song. The the arrangement, you know, the vocal, everything about it. But because it's sugar-coated, it is accepted. That's how a lot of things are today. Because they're sugar-coated, they're accepted. Now, this all sounds great if there was nothing to divide the people. When you read through the lyrics, and actually, I'm going to read through the lyrics. It says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or to die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. The chorus goes on and says, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. The third verse says, imagine there's no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? When you think about it. If there was, like, there's so many different churches, so many different religions in the world today. Imagine there was no religion. Imagine imagine there was just righteousness. That's all there was, righteousness and holiness. But that's not really a religion per se. But there's a lot of things problematic with this it all sounds good you know it sounds good kind of like if you remember Rodney King 20 years later 1991 he's beaten up pretty bad by the by the police and he made a statement he says uh, why can't we just all get along why can't we just all get along and it's it's bizarre that he would even make that statement because uh, you know he has a history of beating his wife. 
<laughs> Rodney Keene had a history of beating his wife, but why can't we just all get along? You know, it doesn't even make sense, does it? You know, he, he held up this, he robbed this convenience store, but why can't we just all get along? See, this is kind of hypocritical, isn't it, that he's saying, why can't we all get along? So, what is the issue here? This idea that we can have this utopia on earth is not even realistic, nor is it even possible. What Lenin fails to recognize is that humanity has fallen and in need for someone to come to the rescue. He, he seems to imply that if we could just muster up enough goodness within us, if everybody would just kind of work really hard and muster up all that goodness within us, that everything would be good and we can live a life of peace and happiness. We'd solve the world's problems. But, you know, when we go to the source of truth here, you know, Job says that man born of woman, I don't know of any other men that are not born of women, but man that is born of woman is but a few days and he's full of trouble. It doesn't take long and you find trouble. They start acting out pretty young. Little, little kids do, don't they? We're inherently sinful, and there will always be someone who wants to dominate and control you and control me. That's how it has been through ages, for history, eons of time. Somebody is wanting to dominate somebody else. You know, Alexander the Great is hailed as being like the greatest, um, one of the greatest generals of all time. Alexander the Great. <clears throat> You know, and it's said that he had conquered everything from Greece all the way to, to the northwest India. He had conquered all that area. And he broke down and he cried because there were no more worlds to conquer. He had conquered everything that could possibly be conquered at the time. He's 32, 33 when he died. He had done all this in that short period of time. He conquered all the worlds wasn't living life in peace, was they? You know, John Lennon did grow up in tumultuous times. There was war going on. There was revolution going on. Pretty similar, probably, I feel like, Alexander the Great. If he was one of those countries being taken over by Alexander the Great, it was kind of a, a rough period in, in life, wasn't it? Just like the time of the flood. You think about it. Time of the flood, Moses is, I mean, Noah's the only one that gets out of there and his family alive. That was a rough time in history. Seemed like it's always been this way, has it? Even if you think about it, and which, this just blows my mind, if you think about it, all the way back to Adam and Eve, the first family out of creation, the very first set of children born one brother kills the other brother. You know, you would have thought that surely Adam and Eve told them that, you know, we were created. We were like the first ones here. Uh, there's nobody else here. We're the first ones. And there would have been some kind of closeness. You would think maybe a few generations would have passed before this murder would have happened, but it didn't. Man is a few days and he's full of trouble. Now, some people have good intentions and they buy into this idea that, puts this, that Lyndon puts forth in this song. 
Turn with me, if you will, to Acts. We're going to read a little bit about something like this. Acts chapter 4. And it says, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Doesn't that sound kind of similar to what Lennon was proposing here? And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of Yahshua Messiah. And abundant grace was upon them all. For, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to the, of, the, uh, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would distrib- be distributed to each as any had need. Sound like the Bernie Sanders plan, doesn't it? And Joseph, the Levite of Sephrain, birth, who was called uh, Barnabas by the apostles, which translates means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money to the land and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that sounds incredible. <clears throat> I mean, when you, when you read that, that type of unity that these people had, they had said they was of one heart and one soul. You know, this, this unity they were experiencing was something new. Their newfound faith and that power of that Holy Spirit, which was poured out at that time, that's what propelled them in to, to think about this way. It wasn't some command that we find in the Bible that we have to do it this way, but they, they decided this is what we want to do. This is how we want to live. And it was good intentions brought by a pure heart. It was good intentions. I'm not saying it wasn't. But you know, it wasn't, it was kind of short-lived. Because we read in the next chapter where this husband and wife, they too sold part of their land. They sold all their land, I suppose. And they presented to the apostles, like the rest of them, that, hey, this is what we sold this land for, to be distributed. But they held back part of that. And you know the story that they were both struck down. They were both struck down. And they lost their lives. You know, in the 60s, communal living was a popular thing. Young people who resisted, you know, against the establishment, they would sometimes move out to these remote areas and they would, they would all live together and everything was communal. Everything belonged to everybody, you know, and they... And of course, there was a lot of drugs. There was just a lot of, lot of debauchery going on. But this was their mentality and their spiritual quest and their spiritual walk. This is what they were looking for. They were looking for peace and they were looking for love. This, those are good things to be looking for. I'm not saying we should not pursue those things. Those things are, are to be pursued. But they have to be pursued in the context of what is right. The communities of that time, I'm sure, did not, you know, the communes did not uh, have a pure and a wholesome um, outcome. You know, I grew up also in the 70s, and uh, we lived in a place, it was an acreage, it, was, it was belonged to the church, and then everybody who, only people who lived on this acreage 
belonged to the, the church. Nobody else could live there. And there was a place, you know, we, we, we farmed together. A lot of people would get together and they would can, you know, uh, can beans and, and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, I remember, you know, being 13 years old and, you know, building roads in there and, and putting septic systems in and moving houses in and remodeling and just working like crazy, you know. But that was a, that was a good goal. This was a new, this is going to be the place where people could come together and, uh, you know, it, it, during hard times, when the things got really bad, we could be one community and, and, and encourage and lift up one another. It was a good, it was a good idea. The only problem was that there was people there, you know? And so when there's people there, you're going to have some trouble. And we had trouble. You know, you have those who went above and beyond what was expected of them, went above and beyond, and they, they worked really hard, and they, and they gave of their time, their equipment, and all those things to make sure this worked. It worked really hard, really diligent. There's other ones, not so much. <clears throat> they didn't work all that hard. And you know, they had those who were always whining, complaining. You have those who are actually overzealous, they're always doing when you don't want them to do. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen people like that? They're always doing, just, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. I don't want, we don't need that right now, you know? So you, you have all these types of people. You have these things, I mean, even in, in families, you have these same type of people. Even in your own family, you'll have some people who are really overzealous, some people who are really eager to, to, to please, and some people who are not. It happens. But you got me thinking, how could this ever happen really in a church group? I mean, this is a group of people who, are, who have one, one uh, goal in mind, the same goal basically, but they can't get along. Brother Ferris just read about that, didn't he? About two of the apostles could not get along for a period of time. How can this dysfunction be? You know, I may be thinking that the things I may struggle with or maybe seem trivial to you. Whatever my hangups are could be trivial to you. So what is the deal with him? Why don't you just get over it? And the things I feel like I have mastered, I start trying to figure out how come he hasn't mastered them. This is pretty simple. But we're all different. We all have different needs. We all have different hangups. We all have these things because we're just people. But we read in Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Many times, though, the, everybody's not willing to dwell in unity, are they? They're just not. And many times we want to impose our will on others. I've probably been guilty of that, and I feel like maybe most of us have been guilty of that to some degree, to try to impose my desires on you. There's an astronaut named Ron Guerin. He wrote, from space, astronauts cannot see physical borderlines or national boundaries. All evidence of division and separateness vanish. The conflicts that divide countries, cultures, and people become less important 
and the need to create a peaceful, united, planetary society which works together to protect its pale, this pale blue dot becomes critical. George Bush wrote, uh, spoke one time and he talked about this country being a kinder and a gentler nation. A kinder and a gentler nation. You know, Mr. Guerin had seen the earth from Yahweh's perspective, didn't he? From, from outer space, Yahweh's perspective. It's amazing how just a couple hundred miles above the earth can change your, your, your idea, your perspective. But the hope of humanity ever coming together with those borderlines vanishing, the hope of it ever happening is just a hope. It's not reality. You have to imagine that and it will never happen. Fallen man is not capable to achieve that goal. Even though it sounds really good in an idea or a song, it sounds really good, but we can't achieve that. But even though it isn't possible, we're admonished to keep striving for that very thing, the very thing that's not possible. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans. Romans 12. Romans 12, 9. says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the master. Rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. This sounds good so far, doesn't it? It sounds really kind of like a parallel with what Lydon was writing about. In so many words, you can just about parallel these. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Are we, are we soaking in these words here? Do not be wise in your own estimation. Be of the same mind toward another, not haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly. Are we, are we digesting these words? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of Yahweh. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says Yahweh. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals of fire, burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil. Be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. These things sound good, don't they? And this is what we're admonished to strive for. In, our, in the little world that we live in, the little portion of this world that we live in, we're admonished to do these things. Basically, we're admonished to do many of the things that Lennon wrote in those, that song. Many of those things we're admonished to do. 
even Yahshua said in John 14, 27, he says, Yahshua says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, nor let it, or, nor let it be fearful. Now the key word here is not as the world gives. Yahshua was giving them peace, wasn't he? He says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. The world gives you peace, but it's, it's not in alignment with Yahweh's word. Their peace is different than Yahweh's peace. It's not in alignment with Yahweh's word. So that's the key, that's the key difference right there. So I think Daniel, I think of Daniel, he's going to the lion's den. Don't sound very peaceful. But... I feel like he had a peace. I feel like he had an inner peace. I just, I don't have this vision of him fighting and screaming and kicking and, and all that on the way to the lion's den. I don't really have that mental image. I have, a, I have an image of him peacefully walking. Like they said of Yahshua, a lamb led to the slaughter. That's the image I have in my mind. I think Paul and Silas had a peace as well when they were beaten for no reason they were beaten and thrown into prison what do they do when they get there they're not grumbling and complaining and whining they're praising the heavenly father it takes an inner peace to praise the heavenly father it takes that's the peace that Yahshua is talking about not as the world gives but as I give you that's the kind of peace that we're looking for that's the kind of joy that we're looking for, even during persecution. We want to achieve peace, usually, though, on our terms, don't we? When we live lives, uh, you know, as individuals, communities, nations, that are not in alignment with Yahweh's word, peace will never be achieved. It isn't even possible. Yeshua always also says something else in Matthew. If you want to Matthew 10, 34. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. He just got through saying that, this peace I give you. But now he's saying, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now that wasn't Yahshua's goal to bring a sword. I mean, that's how we read it right here. He says, I came to set a man. Yahshua didn't come and say, well, I'm gonna set those two people against each other. That's, that's what I set out to do. No, it's when we follow Yahweh's laws, when we follow his path, it will set us at odds with the world. When we gain more peace with Yahweh, when we gain that, that, inner, that inner peace, we will be at odds with the world. The greater this peace gets toward him, the bigger the odds will be with the world. That's just how it works. This, so this is, this is what he's talking about. I set a man against his father. And some of you have experienced those very same things where you have turned this path, this path that we're walking right now, 
And members of your own family said, man, I just, I just can't go there. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And some people are willing to you know, coexist with one another in that situation, but some families are not. They're basically rejected. You know, if Lennon would have understood this verse, he may have rephrased his song to reflect the fact that there is no peace without the Prince of Peace who reigns with justice and righteousness forever. So what do we do now? We just wait and we, we imagine, just like Lennon wrote, we imagine. The only reference point we have about this is what we read or what we've been told. There's no, there's no uh, like a peace museum that you can go to and you can see all these displays and hear this little deal that says, this is how peace once, once existed on the earth. There's, there's no such a thing like that. We, we can't even, we can't really imagine peace. It's just a, it's just kind of fleeting really. Because even if we did imagine it, it wouldn't be what Yahshua hasn't planned for us. John 14 says, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in Yahweh. Believe ye also in me. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is what Yeshua is saying. Don't let your heart be troubled. We have so much, we've had so much sickness of late in the congregation, so many heartbreaking things going on in the, in the congregation, just among the, the people that we know. A lot of sickness. <clears throat> we know, we, we imagine when we read in Isaiah 6 where it says the wolf would dwell with the lamb. We have to imagine that because you don't see wolves dwelling, living with, with lambs and sheep. You just don't see that. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? So we have to just imagine that, that they're walking together. It says a little boy will lead a cow and a lion together. So you'll have a rope, a lion on one side, a cow on the other side. You can't. You just, you just have to imagine that because there's no, there's no pictures that somebody took. But check this out. There's a lion and a lamb, you know. It says a bear and a cow will graze together. So you just have to imagine. We read it. We've read it. And maybe we have formed a mental image. Maybe we haven't. But we just have to imagine that because it's not reality. But it is reality. It's reality that hasn't happened yet. It says the nursing child would play on the hole of a cobra. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? I'm going to read something for you. I don't want you to imagine these things. This is in Revelation 21. This is a reference point we have. We don't have very many reference points to go off of. But we do have this reference point. The writer says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from Elohim, 
made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is among men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and Elohim himself shall be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more any longer any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Can you imagine a life where there's no crying? A life of no pain? You cannot imagine that. I mean, that's all you can do is imagine that because it's not reality. We've never experienced it. None of us on this earth have never experienced that. We just have to imagine that. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and they are true. We can hang our head on this. These words are faithful and true. I want you to imagine these things. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. That's a key word right there. He who overcomes will inherit these things. These things that only you can imagine, you can inherit if you are an overcomer. And I will be his Elohim and he will be my son. For the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can you imagine a place where there's no lying? Can you imagine a place where there's, like Kyle mentioned last week, can you imagine a place where only good words come forth? There's no profanity. Can you imagine a place like that? Ah. Or like John mentioned here a couple weeks ago, can you imagine not having to have a take up money for coats for adopted children. Can you imagine not having to do that? We can't imagine. I mean, we just have to imagine it because it's not reality now, is it? It's not happening. It's not going to happen as long as we're in this this world right here. It's not going to happen. We have to imagine those things. And so it's good to have a a wild imagination because we're going to keep reading here. In verse 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke to me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from Elohim. Having the glory of Elohim, her brilliance was like costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great high wall, with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates in the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three on the west. So we're, we're, they're giving us all this description, and so we're forming, we just close our eyes, we can, we can form a mental image of what this, an image, we're having to imagine this. What we're reading, we're having to imagine this. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. 
and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates were and its walls. Does anybody here have a gold measuring rod? A gold tape measure? Uh, ben, do you have a gold tape measure? Okay, I'm just checking. They, this guy had a, had a gold measuring rod. It said the city was laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. And he measured a city with the rod, 1,500 miles, its length, its width, and its height are equal. Now that's hard to imagine, isn't it? 1,500 miles, long, wide, and tall. Kind of a cube, if you will. Okay? So let me help you get it in perspective. Texas is a big state, isn't it? The biggest state in the lower United States. <clears throat> From Texarkana, far east, to El Paso, far west, is 812 miles. From Texline, at the upper top panhandle corner, all the way to Padre Island is 907 miles. Texas would set inside of this city. The whole state would just fit in there pretty easy. Because you got, you know, many more, 600 more miles to go before you get the same size. That kind of puts things in perspective. It's a pretty big city. But you just have to imagine it because, you know, that's why I gave you that, the Texas. Because you can see Texas. You live in Texas. You know. But we just have to imagine this. <clears throat> And he measured its wall 72 yards according to the human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear, like clear glass. A city of gold. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, we can't imagine that. <laughs> I can't imagine it. I can't even imagine a house of gold, much less a city, okay? <laughs> I can't even, so, so it, it just sounds so far out there. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was chalcedon. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx. The sixth was sardis. The seventh, crystal light. The eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. The tenth was cryosphase. The eleventh was jacinth. And the twelfth was amethyst. I looked up all these stones on the internet just to see these little foundation stones. I mean, this is the foundation. They didn't, make, they didn't use concrete, you know, like normal people would do. They used all these stones. You know, this was the foundation. And so I looked them all up, anyhow, just to kind of see what they look like. It's kind of interesting. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Do y'all know how pearls are made? Pearl is made, if I, I think I got this right, but a little science class here. Uh, when a piece of debris or a piece of sand gets inside of a, like a, like a clam, and that clam secretes this and it's irritating to it because it gets inside that shell and it's irritating to it and it secretes this, this substance over a period of time and it grows and grows and makes this pearl inside of this clam. 
And that's how the pearls are made. Now, this pearl was pretty big, so that must have been a big clam. That's all I can figure out. But he said, I saw no temple in it for the master, for Yahweh, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of Yahweh has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. You can only imagine that, can you? That's not a reality. We have our cycle of sunlight, you know, sunset, darkness. We have this cycle. We've been living like this for thousands of years. We can only imagine these things. In the daytime, there was no need for, for uh, and in the daytime, for there was no need for night, its gates will never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you want to go to that place where there's no lying, when there's no cheating, where everything is just this cool gold city? Do you want to go there? You have to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a reality, even though we have to imagine all this. And so it goes on to says, he showed me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves were for the, uh, of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall, and there shall no longer be any curse and the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We will see the face of the Most High. You can only imagine that. I'm going to use Gary here for a minute. When the scales of blindness come off Gary's eyes, he will look upon Yahshua. And it'll be for the first time for all of us to look upon him. But for Gary, it'll be the first thing he sees. Yahshua. We can only imagine that. Gary's been blind for a long time. And he don't know any idea. He has to only imagine and we, we too, we can't imagine seeing Yahshua. We just, have to, we just have to have this in our head. But it's good for our, let our imaginations to run wild. Let it run wild based on what these promises are. It says, there will no longer be any night in verse 5. And they shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because Yahweh shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Did you hear what I said? He said, these words are faithful and they are true. I'm not just making this stuff up. Now, John Lennon, he was just, it was a fantasy that he was trying to, to, to get to. But we're reading right here, said these words are faithful and they are true. And Yahweh the Elohim of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservant the things that which must shortly take place. 
And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy in this book. Can you imagine those things? It is good. We have had so much sickness, like I said, and, and all of you have lost loved ones. We've cried tears of, of, of anguish over prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. We've had broken families, broken hearts. Can you imagine a life without a broken heart? No, not really, because it's not reality. But those things do happen. There was another song written in the 2000s. I'm not sure how long ago it has been. But it's called I Can Only Imagine. And the writer, I'm just going to read these lyrics as well. You can come up, Walker, if you want. It says, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. That's pretty much true. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. It's good for us to think about these things. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Yahshua, or in awe of you be still? You ever stop to think about it? You'll see these, you'll see these uh, episodes of people who have, have lost loved ones, been gone for many years, or maybe it's, a, it's somebody who gave somebody up for adoption, and they meet for the first time after 20, 30 years. And all the emotion that goes on there. Can you imagine seeing Yahshua? Will I dance for you, Yahshua, and all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Or will I even be able to speak at all? I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I do is forever worship you. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Yahshua? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall. We can only imagine those things. You know that? And I think we're made to imagine those things. It's so, not as the peace that he gives, is not as the world gives. We need to have these things stirred up in our minds and in our hearts. That keeps us pushing forward. There is something to live and there is something to die for. John, said, John Lennon says there's nothing to live or to die for. There is something to live and there is something to die for. He was wrong. But it has to be in the context of truth. It has to be in the context of truth. One day, 
our imagination will become a reality. So just keep imagining and keep thinking about it. Y'all be blessed.